Do women really have to be quiet in church? We're going to deal with this today. Please don't leave mad. Hear me out. This teaching is based on two passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as also the law also says, as the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, if you want to translate this properly, the word for women, gune, means wives. So read it like this. Let your women keep silent in the assemblies. If this is written to Corinth. There was one church in Corinth. So churches, like we think of churches, plural churches, you know, there's 50 plus churches in this area. It's assembly. So this church, this congregation has multiple assemblies every Sunday morning. So he's saying, let your wives be quiet in the assemblies. So something's going on in their assemblies, right? It has to be that. Otherwise, a woman can't say anything when she enters the church building. You know, they didn't have official church buildings back anyway. For they are not permitted to speak, but to be submissive as the law also says. Now, the law says nothing. Get your best concordance. The law says nothing about women being quiet. But it does speak of men being head of the home. In fact, part of the curse of the law is a part of the curse of sin is a husband shall rule over his wife, but the wife's desire will be also to, to rule. So you got this conflict going on, and the Lord laughs and says, the two shall be one. So it takes his involvement for a marriage to succeed. It really does, where they're not trying to dominate each other. So in this instance, the law points to order in the home, but not to silence. Otherwise, they'd have to be silent at home, right? And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. So this isn't women submitting to men. This is wives and husbands, their relationship. So if they're going to have Bible studies, don't do it in the middle of a gathering. You see that? For it is shameful for wives to speak in assemblies. So there's something going on there. Anytime you take a passage of Scripture literally and it contradicts other Scriptures, you got to back off and have another look at it. Corinthians itself, this same letter, talks about women praying and prophesying in public, having their heads covered, being under the authority of their husbands. Why would Paul negate, even in this very chapter, about people prophesying and exercising in the gifts, why would he negate that by saying, now the women can't operate in the gifts? See what I'm saying? Now, people in our current day, highly respected scholars that really hammer down on this, don't see the contradiction because they're cessationists. They believe the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today, so that's not their problem. In fact, in reading this chapter, they'll explain away everything in the chapter except these verses. 
It's the truth. Guys I like to listen to, they're wrong on this. And their accusation, well, you're just compromising with the LGBT movement, that's not true. I have believed this since I was a child. Having served as missionaries, my parents, I went with them in their house, in two different countries where the first missionaries were women who had started churches. Now, how can you start a church and be silent? And look at it like this. If it's just women, all women and not wives, then a single woman doesn't have a husband at home. A widow doesn't have a husband at home. It has to do with order in the home. Also, Paul is dealing with disorder in this church. This whole letter is about their disunity and their conflict. And sometimes to settle conflicts... A certain segment of the population may need to be quiet till order is established. So I don't have all the answers, but I know taking it literally creates problems. You want to take the Bible literally? Four places in the New Testament says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Hello? Look it up. When we were in Rhodesia, now called Zimbabwe, we came across a denominational pastor from Portugal who was pastoring a denominational church. His last name was Lata. Well, we had to meet him, right? And he invited us to minister at his church. And he took this passage literally. I do not know if it had anything to do with Portuguese culture. But at the end of the service, he stood at the front door shaking everybody's hands, right? But he was kissing all the women on the lips. I hope. I hope the kisses were holy. (laughs) You know, there's another verse written to Timothy that says, drink no longer water, but a little wine for your stomach's sake. You're going to take that literally? Then it's a sin to drink water, and then Jesus has sinned by asking a woman at the well for a drink of water. (laughs) Pastor, you're loaded for bear today. I am. There's a brochure in your bulletin. I hate it that we ran out of bulletins. But outside, to the right of the information desk, is a track rack of stuff I've written. And I freshly filled it this week with this one. Do women really have to be quiet in church? Now, this isn't the only passage where this is dealt with. 1 Timothy 2.11 says, let a woman or a wife, keep in mind this this means wife, let a wife or a woman learn in silence with all submission. What does that mean? It has to do with order in the home. And I do not permit a wife to teach or have authority over a man or a husband, but to be in silence. And then he gives his reasoning, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So what were they? They were the first couple. So this is universal for us all, that the husband should be the head of the home, but it's not a a headship that's dominating or cruel or passing the buck. Adam dropped the ball by not guarding the garden, and he dropped the ball by not covering for his wife, by blaming her for the problem and then distancing himself from her by labeling her Eve just like he had the animals. Adam was formed first. He was the older one. He was held accountable. Then Eve. 
Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived. Deceived fell into transgression. So she was deceived, but the man was a slacker. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. What? If you take this literally, then women can't be saved unless they have babies. What's a barren woman to do? What's a widow to do? What's a, a single woman to do? See the distortion you have by taking everything literal? Sometimes you have to look at it from a distance. I believe with all my heart the Bible is the Word of God. Holy men of God wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote in their own words through their own personalities. So Paul isn't saying that. You know, English is the second language translated from the Greek. You're going to have to look at it again in other versions. Because that is heresy to say a woman can't be saved unless she has children. See what I mean? And these morons, yes, I call you guys morons for not thinking, just wanted to hold to your tradition out of pride and not looking in the mirror and holding to the truth. And you're the ones actually paving the way for LGBT movement to make progress in the culture. Because you're, you're contaminating the right division of God's word with your tradition and not looking at the real thing. Women are not saved by childbearing. I'm sorry, that's not true. It's saved by the childbearing that, that Mary did. <laughs> the Son of God saves. We're not saved by works. And let me say this. If you believe the law says women have to be silent because Paul wrote it, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. He fulfilled the law. So what does this mean? Well, let's just look at two other versions. The amplified version for verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. The Amplified Version says, Nevertheless, the sentence put upon women of pain in motherhood does not hinder their soul salvation, and they will be saved eternally if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control, saved indeed through the childbearing or by the birth of the divine child. Now keep in mind, Paul isn't the only one writing letters. People are writing letters back to them, back to him, and he's addressing heresies. There's a form of Gnosticism at the time that had the story of Adam and his wife completely reversed. So he straightened out that story as well. The Message Bible says this for 1 Timothy 2.15. On the other hand, her childbearing brought about salvation, reversing Eve. But this salvation only comes to those who continue in faith, love, and holiness, gathering it all unto maturity. You can depend on this. Yes, but aren't we supposed to take the Word of God literally? Yes, we are. But we are told to study to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the Word of truth, making sure we understand its context. Looking at these verses out of context creates this literal oversimplification. And you do not take everything literal in life. 
A few years ago, a brother and I took two younger brothers, or I went along, to a Rangers baseball game. And the older brother, not older than me, but older than the two younger brothers, gave one of them a $20 bill and said, go buy us some pretzels. So that boy, taking him literally, came back with $20 worth of pretzels, <laughs> which created a situation, two problems, no change for the generous friend and no beverages to go along with the salty pretzels. So it made us thirsty. He took it literally. He did what he was told, right? Take this literal. Mark ends with these, verse, these words, uh, these signs shall follow those that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it shall not harm them. You know, there's churches and there's hillbilly churches up in the Appalachia area of America that handle snakes because they take that verse literally. And they got one other verse that says you'll tread upon serpents and scorpions. So I don't know if they stomp on scorpions or put their bare feet on them. But they play with snakes and eventually they die. And when questioned, they'll say, don't you have the faith? Don't you obey the word of God? Look what the Bible says. They shall take up serpents and we shall take up serpents. You take it literal. So who's the more obedient? The person that takes everything in the Bible literal or the person that uses their head and studies and makes sure their interpretation doesn't contradict other verses? And don't avoid these issues by saying those things are passed away today. No, they're not passed away. They're for us today. I know some continuationists have taken things too far, but that doesn't do away with the fact the gifts of the Spirit are still for us today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for our sisters. I thank you, Lord, for my wife, daughter of the king, my sister in Christ, my friend. Thank you, Lord, for bringing her into my life 45-plus years ago. I pray, Lord, you'd bless her beyond her dreams. And, Lord, I pray the same for every sister in this room. Lord, where they have been hurt by the church, I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to their heart. Lord, if we've hurt them here, Lord, may they be bold to come and confront in love, hopefully. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ in which there's neither male nor female, nor slave nor free, but we are all one in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your kingdom. And now, Lord, as we worship you, we recognize you've called us to do a great task for you. In Jesus' name. And Lord, as Yvette exhorted us earlier, Lord, may we all hear your voice of affirmation to be what you've called us to be, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us accepted. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us righteous. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be holy. And you've called us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for the part we have to play in that. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise and honor. Amen. In John 4, Jesus and the disciples head off and they go through Samaria. This, you know the story. Listen to this. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. 
It was about the sixth hour. You know the story that happens from there. He gets into a dialogue with this woman who is not living her best life now, to say the least. But he talks to her, and at the end of that, guess what happens after after this great dialogue? It's a, a dialogue of Jesus restoration. And at the end of that, guess what happens? She runs into the city and she becomes, brothers and sisters, she becomes the first evangelist. Hallelujah, hallelujah, isn't that cool? What an act of restoration. And it's interesting because when we sing this song, I'll rest right here with you. That's exactly what Jesus did. He sat down to rest and he rested with the woman. What an awesome picture. Jesus is ready to rest with you. And through his resting with you, there is restoration for you. Hallelujah. first witness of the resurrection that went to tell. They didn't believe her because she's a woman, but they probably wouldn't have believed a man either. <laughs> it seems so far-fetched, and the Lord appeared to them and proved himself to be alive. Ten days after his ascension, the church was born during Shavuot, the day of Pentecost, and God poured out his spirit on men and women, speaking in multiple languages, declaring the wonderful works of God. Peter stands up to preach to give an explanation and quotes from Joel 2. So both Joel 2 and Acts 2 have these words. That in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And sons and daughters will prophesy. Will I pour out of my spirit in those days? 
on your maid servants and your men servants, male and female again, and they shall prophesy. Now those who say that prophecy is done away with definitely believe in preaching, and they say that's modern day prophecy is preaching. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophesying is speaking words of edification, that's building up, exhortation, that's calling up, and comfort, that's calming down. So when you speak words that are inspired by the Lord that build up people or call up people to a higher level of living or calm people down from life's frustrations, those are prophetic utterances. And men and women can do that. It's in the Bible. So Paul did not mean, have you ever been taken out of context? He did, not, he did not mean what people are doing with his words by taking them out of context of the overall revelation of the book of 1 Corinthians as well as the New Testament itself. Lord, we pray that you would fill sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, fill maidservants with your spirit. Release them to prophesy. To speak words of edification to build others up. To speak words of exhortation to call others up. To speak words of comfort to calm people down. Lord, we live in a sin-sick world, a rattled, frustrated, high-pressure culture. Lord, we pray that you'd use our sisters mightily that they will be silenced no more. And Lord, we pray for a fresh level of harmony and unity in the home as husbands serve their wives and enable them to come into their fullness. All right, ladies, just receive this prayer right now. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled to prophesy. Be filled to flow in spiritual gifts. Be filled to build people up. Be filled to call them up. Be filled to bring comfort to others. Let's receive. I'm seen, I'm known, I'm loved by my Father. I'm seen, I'm known, I'm loved. 